when Jesus said, I am the man that has come down from heaven. I am the bread of life. And them to say, wait, no, you're not. You're the son of Mary and Joseph. We know who you are. We've known you your whole life. How can you say you're, you're the man come down from heaven, sent by God, the son of God? How can you say that? And Jesus' response is, be careful what you're saying. In John chapter 6, Jesus makes an amazing statement. He says that he is the bread of life. Not just that he gives bread, but that he actually is the bread of life. What does this mean? What does this mean for us as believers? Join us today from the pulpit of Cedar Point Baptist Church with Tyler Ford as he exposits God's word from John chapter 6. is addressing, I guess you could say, in our text today, is the difference in earthly thinking and spiritual thinking. That's the difference. And as Christians, our minds have been renewed by the Spirit. And so then we think in Spiritual ways. So what now Jesus does in our text, um, he, he's going to tell us a hard truth, not hard truth, it's a beautiful truth, a beautiful truth that an earthly mind can't understand. But I want us to see, before we get into that in verse 44, 45, and 46, look at what he says in verse 43. He says to them, Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. What does he mean there? I believe what he is saying there is it's dangerous. It's a dangerous thing to try to sort out God's divine revelation, it's a dangerous thing. To say God wouldn't do that or God wouldn't do this. It's a dangerous thing to say something like, well, I couldn't serve a God that did it that way. Because what does it do then? It takes the attention away from the grace that God has given us. And as Christians today, we can kind of stand back a little bit. You know, we're not in, in the trenches there with Jesus in the Gospels. We can kind of stand back a little bit. And what do we have? We have His Word. And His Word tells us who He is. His Word tells us what He's done. His Word has, has showed us the person and work of Jesus. And so when we stand back and look at this, we say, okay, what does the Bible say about Him? What does the Bible say He has done? What does the Bible say the way that He did it? And for us then, for us then to be arguing against the Bible, that is the same as the Jews grumbling against Jesus here in our text. When Jesus said, I am the man that has come down from heaven. I am the bread of life. And them to say, wait, no, you're not. You're the son of Mary and Joseph. We know who you are. We've known you your whole life. How can you say you're, how can you say you're the man come down from heaven? Sent by God, the Son of God. How can you say that? And Jesus' response is, be careful what you're saying. Be careful when you go against the revelation of God in Scripture. 
Be very, very careful. And now, in verse 44, Jesus begins to explain the difference in the spiritual mind and the earthly mind. He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. He says, It is written in the prophets, it's Isaiah, this is from Isaiah, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Let's stop there. The first thing we need to notice is Jesus has already said something like this back in verse 37. We go back to verse 37. Sermon from a couple weeks ago. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now we look at verse 44. Jesus says the same thing, but he says it in the negative. Notice no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, now, what we're missing because of just how we're doing this sermon, this was in the same conversation. So he is repeating something that he has said, but, but notice he goes from all that the Father gives me will come to me, the positive, now to the negative. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Why does Jesus make this statement to unbelieving Jews? Because it's a wild statement. It's a wild statement that Jesus would make to unbelieving Jews. Because you know, we wouldn't think that Jesus would respond to them in this way. But, but what Jesus is getting at is the heart of the problem. That's what he's doing. Because what we would think if, if these men had come to Jesus and they began to question his deity, well, what should he do? Well, okay, watch this. Let me show you what I can do. But that's not what Jesus does. Because what does Jesus not want? He does not want people following him for miracles. He does not want people following him to be entertained. He does not want people following him so that they can see what Jesus is going to do next. Jesus wants people following him because he is Lord. Period. So that's why we have this statement here where what Jesus is doing, he's going straight to the heart. And to the mind. You're grumbling, he's saying. You're grumbling here. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time because your problem is that your mind is spiritually hindered. That's the problem. Your mind has been spiritually Hindered to be drawn, to be known, to be raised in the last day. Jesus is saying, that is to know who I am. That I am the bread of life. That I have been sent by the Father. That, that, that God, the Father, has sent the Son. That, that whoever would believe in Him would have eternal life. But we can understand this statement because this is a hard statement. This is a statement that makes us scratch our head a little bit and say, what is he saying here? We can understand this statement better because Jesus now clarifies it for us with 45 and 46. Let's see what he says. So, again, verse 44, the question, why does Jesus make this statement to unbelieving Jews? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets. Again, Jesus going back to the Old Testament. What is written? And they will all be taught by God. Let's stop there with that statement. 
Going back to Isaiah chapter 54. That's where this statement is. Isaiah 54 verse 13. And Jesus has pulled a part of a verse from Isaiah here. Uh, and let's, let's get a little bit of context here. At this point of Isaiah, we've just looked at the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 54, um, Isaiah is prophesying about the, 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 the covenant, the new covenant that would come. The eternal covenant of peace that will exist with God's people in the future. Okay, And notice here, when we look at this one verse, what does it say? Verse 13. All your children. So he's again talking to, looking ahead, okay, looking ahead to Christians. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. So he's talking about the restoration of God's people. Now we know, we know, if we know anything about the Old Testament, here's what we know. The sacrificial system was a mess in, in more than one way. But it was a mess in that what happened? When people, when human beings were, were given responsibility to do things to please God, what happened? They got lazy. They found shortcuts. They thought that they knew better ways to do it. Right. They, they would grumble. Okay. They would grumble because God said to do it this way. And they thought, well, you know, I know he says I need to provide my best plan. I can probably get away with this one and everything will be all right. And so what they would do, they would act hyper-religious and, 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 and going forth with, you know, kind of what God said to do, but with their own way a little bit. And as they did that, you know, it wasn't honoring to God. You know, they couldn't pull the wool over God's eyes. He knew that. He knew that even though they were going through the motions of it, their heart was far from Him. Their worship was not true. It was not pure. And so, it, the old covenant, it never was going to work. The covenant made with, with Abraham, with, with Noah, with David, it was never going to work. It was always looking forward to the new. And so here, in Isaiah, we have a promise of the new covenant. All your children, listen, what does God take out of the equation here? Us. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. Why? Because humans mess it up. Stay with me here. Let's go to Jeremiah 31. Verses 31 through 34. Here in Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesies about the new covenant as well. He says, and I'm going to read through verse 34. Behold, the days are coming. They're coming. They're in the future from Jeremiah. Declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Listen to what he says. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Notice what he's prophesying about here. A day coming when the Lord will act, and the Lord will do. He will put their law in their hearts. He will put 
Uh, he will write it in their hearts. They shall be my people and I shall be their God. Ezekiel chapter 36. We go one book over. No, two books over. Ezekiel 36 verses 24 and 26. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries. So again, a picture of the new covenant because what's he doing? He's gathering people from every nation, every tribe, and he's bringing them together. He says, from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Does this all sound familiar? It should. It should sound real familiar. Because we, we have studied... We've studied the fulfillment of this in the New Testament in John chapter 3, in the new birth. This was all fulfilled, and as Jesus was teaching Nicodemus in John chapter 3 about the new birth, this new covenant was beginning to be fulfilled. Listen to what he says. Uh, I won't read all of this. Uh, well, yeah, let me just go ahead and one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, and for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That which is born of flesh. Listen, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. A mind of the flesh and a mind of the spirit. Do not marvel what I said to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone. That is born of the Spirit. I think we can stop right there. We can see here what Jesus is doing here. <clears throat> so we go back to John 6. Jesus answered, Do not grumble amongst yourself. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It was written with the prophets, and they will be taught by God. What happens when we are taught by God? Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Romans chapter 10. same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches upon all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And how are they here without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. 
How are they to call on the name of the Lord in whom they have never known? They are taught by God through His Word. He draws them to Himself through His Word, through His teaching. As the Word Himself stood there before the unbelieving Jews and was telling them, I am the bread of life. And all they could do was grumble back at Him. Their mind was not open to the teaching of God Himself. They were not drawn to the Father. We've heard and we've learned and we have come. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, verses 9 through 16. It says, But it is written, What no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man, of, of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Listen to that for a minute. Now that's again, that's, that's, that's an Old Testament in the Old Testament. But, but just listen to what Paul has wrote here before we get into the rest of this. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. What God has done for us in our salvation goes beyond what even we can even imagine. I want you to grasp that for a minute. What God has done in our salvation goes beyond what you and I can imagine. So if it's gone beyond what you and I can imagine, what no eye has seen or ear or heard, or what our heart can imagine, then, then when we come to these things, we have no place to grumble. We have no place to say, well, God, you couldn't do that. That doesn't make sense. Because He has gone to a lengths that me and you in our finite mind cannot even begin to, we cannot even begin to step into. He goes on. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Notice right here, God has revealed to us these things, how? Through His Spirit. He says, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For He knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in Him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. Did you hear what he said? We do not have the spirit of the world in us, but the spirit of the spirit who is from God. Why do we have that? So that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So we can understand these truths in the Bible. So we can understand how God has worked. But when we're leaning on our own understanding, we will never understand. He goes on. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, because human wisdom can't compare to the wisdom of God, uh, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, listen, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? <laughs> I love it. But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So we would not instruct God on how we ought to do things. We accept it. We understand it. Do you think, as Jesus sat there in the garden, and the full weight of the anxieties of going to the cross laid upon him, 
We know that was a struggle for him. He prayed, Lord, if there be any other way. I think... But he understood that God's way, the will of the Lord, was the way. We have to come to that same understanding. This truth is, is this truth that we're looking at today. The, 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 the truth of verse number um, 44. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent him draws him. I will raise him up on the last day and with a prophet's robe and... Uh, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Maybe you think, wait a minute. This is, this is clashing here. Let me help us. Matthew chapter 11. This truth is so beautifully put for us in Matthew chapter 11. Because we have both sides. In Matthew 11, verse 25. You know these verses. We read them a lot. You know them. They, they, we love these verses. Listen to the prayer Jesus prays right before he gives us an invitation to come to him. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. That sounds a lot like John 6, 44. That sounds a whole lot like that, that no one can come to the Father unless he reveals himself. That's, not, that's the same thing. You've hidden these things from them because they think they're wise. They think they have figured it out. They, they're so prideful in what they, they think. You've hidden it. But then what does he say? What does he say next? Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Father, the Son, except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And then in verse 28, it's like that, that what Jesus has done here in this text, He has said something that we can't understand. Because the very next thing He says, as He says, Father, you've hidden these things from them. And He's praising God for doing that. In verse 28, now He says, come to me. Come to me. All who labor are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's almost as if Jesus here looks at all mankind. And he has spoken the words, Come to me. And those that respond to those words have been taught by God, they've been given life by God. And what do they do? They throw aside all their worldly thoughts. They throw aside all their worldly ideas. They lay it all down at the foot of the cross. And they make a decision to come to Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. And that's what we see in John chapter 6 as well. Because right in verse 47, Jesus, listen to what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you. Whoever believes has eternal life. If you, if you believe, you have eternal life. And then, it's like he puts a stamp on it. I am the bread of life. Right? So think of this context here. 
Why are you grumbling when I said I'm the bread of life? Why? Why are you trying to disprove that? Because here's what you need to understand, Pharisees. Here's what you need to understand. That no one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. The prophets have said it. That they will be taught by God. You know that, Pharisee. You know what the word says, Jew. You know that. And everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And no one has seen the Father except, except he who is from the Father. He has seen the Father. And truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So I was thinking about this most of the week. I had the week off there last week. So I was primed and ready. So I just read this, read this a while back, thinking on it. I thought to this verse in Romans, this, this set of verses. And so Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 19. This is, this is verses we know. As it is written, none is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we'll read verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So I, I thought about that scene for a little bit. Just kind of dwelled in that. And, and the whole world being held accountable to God. And I know we think about that moment in, in the end, in the end, in that final judgment scene. When the whole, whatever that is, like, I don't know, but, but we know that the whole world will be held accountable to God. So I thought, who would come? In that moment, who would come to God? I mean, we know ourselves all the sin that we have in our own lives. And this scripture tells us that every mouth would be stopped. So I think what that means is that, that, that in that scene when every, every person will be held accountable to God, everyone in the world will be held accountable to God, the mouth being stopped means as he, the judge is there in all his righteous holiness, no one will be able to say anything. We won't be able to give an excuse. We won't be able to speak on our weakness. Because the Bible has told us who the blessed man is, right? Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. Let me go there. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law... 
He meditates day and night. Who would be that man that could come forward? Who could be the man when every mouth is stopped, when, 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 when everyone is held accountable to God, who would be that man who could say, I've not walked in the counsel of the wicked. I've not stood in the way of sinners. I've not sat down with scoffers. But, but God, my delight for my whole life was in your law, and I've meditated on your law day and night. Who, who could come to him and say that? No one could come to him and say that. No one could approach the throne of God and say, I am a righteous man, and I deserve to be with you in heaven because of the life I've lived. I deserve your mercy. I deserve the gift that you're giving. I deserve it because I've done it. I'm the man of Psalm 1. No man, no woman, no child could come before God and say that. So something had to happen, didn't it? <clears throat> something had to happen. Because... I'll be honest, a lot of you wouldn't be here today if you didn't believe something happened. I probably wouldn't be here today if I didn't believe something happened. Paul says this, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, even when we weren't the righteous man from Psalm chapter 1, even when that happened, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, listen, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. So absolutely, no one can come to God and say, I'm that man. But His grace. His grace. His grace draws us in. There was a day, if you're a Christian, there was a day in your life. This may be a bad illustration, but at first. There was a day when God began to court you. I don't know what it looked like for you. I know what it looked like for me. But there was a day that God began to court you. There was a day that God set His eye on you. Now, theologically and biblically, that was before time began. But in your life, in a moment, there was a day that God set His eye on you. He said, that was mine. I'm going to get it. Now, Whatever happened in our life to get us to that point, something happened on Calvary that made it possible. That his son, Jesus, went to a cross and died for sin. Sin died for sin so that you could be set free from it. So that you could put the old life behind and you could walk in a newness of life through Jesus Christ. So God set his gaze on you. He sent his son to die for you. And as God did that, he wooed you. He, he, he courted you. He went after you in, in your life. And then he spit his spirit to you. And the spirit came in you. And the spirit did weird things that you weren't understanding. But here's, here's what you did. Here's what you did. You heard the gospel. 
And when you heard the gospel, you made a decision. And you made a decision to come to that cross of Calvary. To lay down your sins. And to trust the one hanging on the cross. But you know that your trust was not just him hanging on that cross. But he came out of the grave as well. And so that you know the life that you now live is a life given to the Son of God. That you no longer live dead to your sin, but you live alive to Jesus Christ. Who was the man from Psalm chapter 1? It was the one on the cross. It was Jesus. The perfect righteous man who lived the perfect righteous life so that you could have life we hope that you have been encouraged today after hearing God's word and thinking on these spiritual thoughts from John 6. Please join us for our regular podcast on Saturday mornings and visit our webpage, halfwaytherministries.org, to find many resources to help you on your journey home with Christ.